0: Welcome back to Deriving Theology. This is Mike. Uh, Another Wednesday morning. It's a little bit overcast here. I believe it's February, something like February 21st. I'm not even sure. Uh, Something like that. Um, Yep, it's getting uh, closer and closer toward spring time now in Japan, we should start seeing um, daffodils springing up. That usually happens about this time of year. Uh, And then also the uh, plum trees blooming. Uh, Japan is famous for uh, its plum trees. Uh, They eat sour plums here, which are pickled. Called umeboshi, uh, which is a fruit, kind of a plum, I guess, but it's not really—it's not really what we would think of a plum, a big, juicy, kind of mushy, purpley fruit. Uh, the plums here are kind of small and, and rather hard, and they pickle them, and uh, they're eaten more as a like a pickle than a sweet or like a fruit. So uh, anyway, those trees are about to bloom. Right after that, around the heels of the uh, of the ume trees blooming, we'll have the sakura, which are the Japanese cherry blossoms. I'm not sure why they're called cherries because you don't eat the fruit. Um, they're very small. They look more like a not even as nice as a crab apple. Um, very, very tiny. Uh, yeah. So, going to be expecting a little bit warmer weather, but probably wetter weather. Getting on towards spring. It's been an unseasonably cold year. still pretty cold uh, today. And, uh, yeah, I've been busy with uh, stuff. Uh, Working on uh, the cafe that we're going to open here in about a hopefully three weeks. I'd like to open sooner rather than later if possible. And have uh, been working on the, the physical aspects of the cafe itself, uh, some renovations, painting, building, uh, staining, all of that kind of stuff, as well as uh, ordering installing um, some of the machinery, the coffee machines, the roaster, things like that, uh, which are coming up in the near future. Hopefully, we've got a big uh, inspection by the city we've got to pass on this Friday, and if, if we pass that, uh, then yeah, hopefully we're on to uh, bigger and better things, but we've still got to get the menu in order. Uh, Got to get some coffee roasting. And uh, Yeah, it's kind of a big hassle, all of this. Uh, didn't expect it to be quite this much. But then again, I guess nobody ever does, right, when you get into something. Be that as it may, I want to talk about the Hebrew word shacha. Shacha. Uh, chances are you haven't heard it. Shachah, or maybe you have, I don't know. Um, shachah, or Shacha is the Hebrew word for worship, and it's the original word that shows up in Genesis 22, uh, the first time. It's the first time we see the word Shachah in the Hebrew. Abraham tells his servant that he and Isaac are going to go up, uh, just the two of them, and shachah Yahweh and then return. And in this word we've translated shachah, shachah as worship. Um, in English we spell it S-H-A-C-H-A-H, lots of H's. Uh, and uh, we translate that this is worship. And what brought this, this, uh, these thoughts on today is I, I, I've, man, worship has been the word worship. And I hopefully, sorry, let me turn this down. It kind of whistles up. Uh, The word worship has a lot of connotations, and it's been a huge. Huge part of my thinking on uh, theology, um, and I've had different thoughts of it down through uh, the years, for the last 20 years I'd say, Uh, because I'm a musician by trade, uh, I've pretty much automatically been uh, conscripted into what we call worship leading. which is basically, uh, at least in the denomination I grew up in, song leading. Uh, you know, getting up in front of people, choosing the music, waving your hand, you know, getting it pitched right, and all the the physical stuff of that. It's been song leading. Um, and that's what we call worship leading. And and uh, we have this this word worship music, and actually sometimes we just say worship. Uh, a lot of people, if they thought about, hey, I'm going to go worship, uh, right away music would come to mind for a large number, I would say, of the evangelical population anyway, that music and worship are associated together almost all the time. Uh, and so I wanted to just to, to, to talk through some of the things that I've been thinking. I'm sure I've breached. Uh, this subject before in this podcast, but I really, really want to talk about the, the, the nature of worship. And I'm only talking about the word shachah today. I'm not getting into any of the Greek words that have been used for worship, or even any of the other Hebrew words uh, that you might find uh, in the Old Testament. Just the word shachah, as it's the earliest word used, And so, looking uh, online at some Hebrew uh, dictionaries this morning, uh, the word Shachah usually is translated to prostrate oneself before an authority, and sometimes specifically before Yahweh. I mean, the word could have been invented specifically for prostrating oneself before Yahweh. and so just taking this instance where it's used for the first time in Genesis, uh, let's think through the way that Abraham uh, prostrated himself or, or you also might say humbled himself or submitted himself before Yahweh on the mountain. Uh, so let's talk about that idea of, of the physical, Physical act of prostrating uh, oneself. Uh, in layman's terms, this is known as known as bowing, right? We we bow. Uh, usually, if we if we go prostrate, we usually think of going all the way to the ground, maybe uh, on your knees or even on your your belly, and uh, sometimes with your head to the floor, stretched out. Uh, it's a it's a position, uh, the lower you go, the greater the uh, respect that you're showing to whichever authority you're bowing before. Um, and so it's a very vulnerable position. It puts you at the mercy, right, uh, of, of whoever you're, you're prostrating uh, before. Uh, it brings to mind the idea of in battle, Uh, taking the high ground or having the high ground. Usually the high ground is considered advantageous in battle. If you've got a higher position from which to fight and defend, uh, you have a better chance at winning the battle, and so uh, when two generals take the field, they will each try to get the high ground because that's an advantage, that's considered advantageous uh, to be able to do. Um, and so the high ground, um, is given to the authority when you prostrate yourself in front of somebody, you're giving them an advantage over you and it's, it's, it's largely symbolic, but if you think about it, if you were, if you were, uh, about to go into battle, um. The act of doing this um, would be ridiculous, right? If, if if you if you were going to do this, basically you're putting your life into the hands of the person uh, before which you bow, right? Uh, so it it could actually be physical, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be only symbolic, but it. But I think. Uh, in 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 most terms, it's symbolic of submission. Uh, it says, "I I am at your command. I am at your beck and call. Uh, and uh, my own will doesn't matter, but your will is more important. And so I'm going to humble myself and to symbolically show you that I am at your command. I am here for you uh, to command." and uh, I submit my own will to you, right? So bowing is symbolic of that. Now here in Asia, especially in Japan, uh, where I live, bowing is an everyday occurrence. Even as I drive, if somebody shows me a courtesy, I bow to say thank you, right? Uh, We we bow low before people of higher respect in Asia. Um, If somebody, is very old, for example, and you are greeting them, you would try to bow lower than they, than they bow. The lower you bow, the greater respect you show. Uh, oftentimes when you visit a traditional Japanese household and there's a, an, an elderly woman there especially, she will actually get on her knees and press her forehead almost to the floor to greet you as you enter their house. Right, uh, and and again, um, there are some cultural things in Japan that come from this. And, and one of the things I, I, I have a feeling this is all pure speculation. I've done done some study in this, but I, I haven't done any any real uh, scholarship into this idea. So take you know take this. Uh, worth a grain of salt, but there was a time in Japan where the government forced neighbors to tattle on each other uh, by penalty of uh, sometimes death. Uh, so if you had uh, if you had neighbors who were um, who, who had rebellious uh, designs on the regime or whatever, uh, and you knew about it. Uh, you would be responsible. So people were pretty much forced to tell in order to protect uh, their homes and their family. Uh, there, there was a time with this. And so today, Japanese aren't terribly uh, keen on inviting you into their home. Now more so with foreigners, but with other Japanese people, it's just not a common thing. Like you don't have these dinner parties where people all gather in somebody's home to have dinner, right? Instead, everybody goes out. They go to a neutral place. Um, and I think, my what I'm speculating is that this comes from that time when when people uh, were forced to tell on their neighbors. And so, if I were to enter your home and I were to see a cross, for example, when the regime had deemed Christianity uh, as uh, an outlaw religion, then I would be responsible to report you, and if I didn't, I could lose everything, including my life. And so I'd rather not go into your house. I'd rather not know what's going on in your house. I I don't want to discover anything. Uh, And so instead, what we do is we go to a neutral place and therefore everybody's safe and the pressure's off and I I can legitimately have an excuse for not knowing because I've never entered their house and I never saw that object, or whatever. Again, this is speculation, and so my guess is when someone does enter your home and they bow really low, what they're saying is, "My life is in your hands. Please, you know, don't don't see anything you shouldn't see, and don't jump to any conclusions by what you see uh, in my house, because our homes reflect who we are. You know, if you were to go into my home." I think just by spending a little time inside that building, you would know a lot about me. And so I don't wonder that, that the reason people bow so low uh, when you enter their homes is because uh, they, are, they are completely in your hands. Uh, if you were to see something uh, and you were to report it, uh, you know they could be tortured and killed. And this was, of course, this is a couple hundred years ago when this happened. Uh, but I'm just wondering again—pure speculation. I know uh, I don't think anybody, uh, a lot of people, will dispute this. Um, but I haven't heard any anybody disprove it either. Um, so, anyway, it's, it, these these are thoughts I have living in this country for 23 years now, um, nearly half of my. so worship uh so when abraham says tells his servant that they're going to go up on the mountain and worship um what does he mean that they're going to go up there and actually bow down before the lord well when we read on we don't read about abraham bowing when he gets up there nor isaac what we what we read about is him setting to do what god told him to See Abraham going on the mountain and preparing to sacrifice his son, which is exactly what God told him to do. Okay, so we have a symbolic nature of, of bowing or prostrating oneself, but we also have the actions that follow, and the action doesn't necessarily mean to physically lower your body before. God, but it means to show, to prove that you are submitting to God by obeying, by doing what he asked you to do. And there's choice involved, right? We have the choice, we have the choice to obey God or not to obey God. And so to worship God is to submit to his authority, to, to admit that, uh, he knows better than you and to go through with with what he has asked you to do right to obey to submit because you know you, you may you may go before a king and lower yourself all the way to the floor but you could just as easily walk out and start uh, spreading rumors about uh, the king or or uh, engaging in uh, revolutionary uh, activities to overthrow uh, the king and his regime. And so, symbolically prostrating oneself does not mean worship. To, to, to just show up and, and uh, make a symbol of worship is not the same thing as worshiping. Okay, so Abraham, he is told by God to do this, and he tells a servant that he's going to worship, and then he goes up and does what God asked him to do. Okay, so, so this is what I've, I find, find worship to be. Worship is submitting yourself to the authority of God. To the will of God, admitting that that He knows better than you, and and choosing to follow His ways instead of pursuing pursuing your own agenda. Okay, because everything Abraham was doing at that point was against his own agenda. I mean, he he wanted Isaac to live. He wanted he wanted Isaac uh, to. To be his heir, right? To to be his legacy. Um, and and this is a you know pretty important thing back in those days. I think it's it's always sort of important. But Abraham was a wealthy man. He was, by all rights, a a nomadic uh, nomadic king. In a lot of ways, he he had servants and property, and, and God had prospered him. So Abraham's act of worship was not going up and singing a song. Abraham's act of worship was not uh, going up and bowing himself over and over and over in front of God or even once. Abraham's act of worship was to go up on the mountain and do what God told him to do. Alright, fast forward to today and to our churches and experiences. What is worship today? Worship today is going to a place and singing songs and and uh, praying. Uh, sometimes it's paying money or, or taking of the Lord's Supper. Um, and we say because this, you know, these are all things God has told us to do. Um, But actually, what we know is that, yeah, I mean, that's all well and good. You know, those things, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. Uh, tithing or uh, taking of the Lord's Supper or, or listening to teaching, those are all good things. But if that is your only connotation of what, what worship is, then I think you're, you are missing out on 99% of the meaning of worship. Because if we go and we symbolically show that we we are uh, submitted to God and to Jesus by just showing up and and giving our money uh, and then going home. But then we go out into the world and we don't Feed the naked. We don't. Uh, sorry, we don't clothe the naked. We don't feed the hungry. Uh, we don't uh, shelter the exposed. We don't uh, heal the sick. Uh, we don't cast out demons. We don't do anything to help people. Which is all—all all of the activities that Jesus was was engrossed in. Most of the activities that Jesus was uh, busy doing. We're all about helping people in their time of need, right? And teaching others to do the same. You have these two two main missions. You know, he did. Yes, he called the twelve, and, and yes, I suppose he taught them, and and they. Uh, Um, you know, they they did some what I would call quote-unquote religious rituals, probably. And we know they did. But what did they do the rest of the time? When they were out in the world, they were doing what Jesus did when He was out in the world. They continued to do that stuff. They continued to heal. Uh, they continued to help people. Right? Um, and so... If your sole act of worship uh on any given week is to show up at a building uh for ninety minutes, uh then I think I think you've missed the heart of worship completely. Um, yes, we're, we're, we're we're supposed to gather with the saints, okay? I get that. I admit that. I I, I I embrace that, but we're called to be so much more in the world. Uh, And if you're not living it day by day, if you're not living a a life of worship, in other words, submitting to the authority of God day in and day out, moment by moment, then whatever you do that you call worship on Sunday is meaningless uh, and empty. and I dare say, uh, fake. Right? Now that that may be a place that you need to start. You know, that, that's quite possible. Uh, you may need to, to start there. Church is, is where you may uh, start to learn about who Jesus is. But at some point, who Jesus is needs to affect you. Uh, In your everyday life, every day, the way you conduct yourself, the way you do business, uh, the way you do art, uh, the way you uh, have leisure, you know, take leisure time, Uh, the way you interact with your family, the way you interact with uh, uh, the woman at the uh, supermarket. I almost said the woman at the well. (laughs) Uh, Of course, if you see the woman at the well, it's good too. Um, but worship, the heart of worship, the heart of Shaha, is submission, is, uh, what's the word, surrender, to surrender to God's will. And that's something that you you have to choose to do. God will never force you to follow Jesus. Um, that's not That's not what he does, right? That's that's not how he works. That's never been how he works. What is that? Oh, it's trash, it's shaking. Uh and so the heart of Shaha is submission. Uh humbling yourself uh before Jesus and saying your will, not mine. That's that's who I want to be. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be about. Uh, and help me, Jesus, to to worship you better. And so worship is something that should be happening in a moment-by-moment thing, right? Every every time you interact with a person or or have a thought, you know, in what way are you trying to submit? your mind to the mind of Christ. And gathering with other Christians, I think, helps us do that. But what isn't helpful, what isn't helpful is calling music worship. Or calling uh, what we do on a Sunday morning worship. That's not worship, okay? Just showing up to a place is not worship. Worship happens first in your mind and in your heart. Do you really believe with all your heart that the way of Jesus is better than your way? That Jesus knows better uh, in every situation, in any situation. He knows better than you. Do you really believe that? believe that he has anything meaningful to say in how you walk through this life. So I think first we need to give, yes, mental assent to the, the, the belief. You know, say it out loud. Say it out loud to him. You know, Jesus, I believe that your ways are better than mine. I believe that your ways are higher than mine. Jesus, I want to submit my life to you. I want to walk in your footsteps. I want to love those you loved uh, or love. I want to, I want to be all that you were to people. Through your power, I want to submit myself to you. Help me do that, Jesus give me more of you help me to see more of you help me to to just help more of you to pour out of me as John the Baptist said help me to decrease so you can increase and the amazing thing about all of that is we don't lose our identity He allows us to still be unique persons. I'm still going to be me. You're still going to be you, even after you submit your life to Jesus. It's an amazing thing. It's a mystery. How does that work? I don't know. I don't know, but somehow he doesn't want us to stop being us. Not trying to make us clones. Somehow we we maintain our identity. Uh, so I'm getting close uh, to my destination here. Maybe running a minute or two late. Hope not. Um, but I just want to encourage you guys to, to really, you know, start down this road of, of figuring out what is the heart of Shacha, what is the heart of worship what does it mean to submit to, to prostrate oneself before to humble oneself before Yahweh and before His Son Yeshua Uh, what does that mean, what does that look like Uh, how do we start down that road Uh, and I would venture to Start not with when you're at church, but when you're alone, when nobody's watching, uh, when you can get away with whatever you want because no one will be the wiser. That, those moments, when you submit those moments, then I think you you are. You've, you've made it, I would, I would say. You you have worshipped uh, in spirit and in truth by that point. Um, ooh, I wonder if that, yeah, when Jesus said that to the woman at the well, day is coming when you worship in spirit and in truth. I wonder if that word, worship, is related to shaha, what that word in the Greek is. that would be interesting if Jesus said shaha there or something else. Uh, anyway, yeah, worship, just to recap, uh, worship, if it's only symbolic, uh, is meaningless. Uh, but if you are on the on the road to submitting your entire life to the will of Christ, giving him uh, freer reign uh, to, to will and to do, then I think you are finding worship. I think you're discovering true meaning of worship. And to me, what we do when we gather, when we sing, and when we pray, is a response to worship. Because I believe when we are truly worshiping God, He He shows Himself to us and reveals Himself to us in ways uh, that are astounding and amazing uh, and surprising. Uh, and that He will uh, just bowl you over with His presence uh, because you are starting to walk in His ways. You're starting to walk in your life in the way that you were meant to. You're becoming more like Jesus. You're becoming more human as you walk in those ways. And I think what happens is, is the Lord meets you on that road in ways that you had only dreamed of possible and then when you gather you all talk about how the Lord uh, showed himself to you how how wonderful it was how surprising and when you get a group of people all talking like this then you start to you start to praise right you start to tell everybody what the Lord has done that's that's the heart of praise maybe we'll talk about praise next week. The heart of praise is to boast about what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing and what the Lord does, right? To, to tell people about what the Lord has done. Uh, that's what praise is, uh, which oftentimes is, is uh, a, uh, a prequel to worship, praise and worship. Um, so, to me, what we call worship uh, on its best day, when it's when it's functioning as it as it was meant to, when our gatherings are functioning uh, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, I think what we call worship is actually more accurately described as a response to worship. Right? This is our response to what happened as we worshipped the Lord throughout this week. Right? This is our response to what what happened. Um, so when we have things like a call to worship in these kinds of terms, well, you're only talking about a, a call to symbolically worship. If, if even that, right? Worship is something that's it got to happen on a different level. So love you guys. I got to go running just a little bit late. Take care. Bye.